0: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Monday, June 27th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No
2: one shall be tonight the rights of life. Today
3: marks a
1: new era in American history. It's a great day for the American okay. Okay. people. This is bullshit. Great just stripped half the population of their bodily autonomy. No one
2: shall be denied the right to life. What part of them don't you is a God-fearing place.
3: Go back to church. This is a The Constitution facility. said I don't no one shall... Be. The hypocrisy is raging, but the harm is endless.
1: I don't think that killing the poor is going to end poverty.
2: This could not have happened without the grace and the mercy that the Lord has shown to this country.
1: Just mark us off the map, man. what we've been doing, you get exactly
0: what we got. On Friday, the eyes of the world turned to Mississippi. The Supreme Court's decision to uphold the state's 15-week abortion ban and overturn Roe v. Wade will transform reproductive health care in America. By August, all or almost all abortions will be illegal in more than a dozen states, including Mississippi. For Terry Herring, the court's ruling represents the culmination of decades of work. She is one of the state's most outspoken anti-abortion rights activists. In an interview hours after the the decision came down Friday, she reflected on her journey.
1: I've basically been working on overturning Roe v. Wade in some way, shape or form since uh, we were 25 years old, which is has been a long lifetime of seeking justice for the unborn babies. And I feel that we've embraced um, a huge shift in this nation. My hope and prayers are that that hearts will shift. And now that Goliath has been slain, we have fifty states uh, where we will be fighting from state house to state house to try to protect uh, the babies in each state. This by no means ends abortion in America, though, you know, there are many that are saying that it does. Uh, In fact, it is far from ending all abortions, but we are celebrating the lives that will be saved and uh, looking forward to uh, the beginning of the end of abortion.
0: Abortion rights activists have said time and time again that this issue, access to abortion, will disproportionately affect poor women and women of color because women with means will still have access to abortion. How would you respond to that?
1: Well, I don't think that killing the poor is going to end poverty, so uh, definitely not an advocate of just because you're of color or if you're poor that you should uh, have uh, better access to abortion because that's what we've been looking at up until today is that that abortion clinics have targeted poor neighborhoods uh, at seeking to um, help the poor kill their children so I would rather uh, find other alternatives to help the mothers out there in Mississippi who do not have the means and um, I was once one of those mothers I was uh, pregnant at 18 and and did not have a lot of money and even though I was married uh, I still struggled through those first few years trying to um just survive with this new baby, and I, I'm blessed for making a decision to choose life, and and I think that mothers will not regret that decision. So when you look at the poor, are we saying that if you're poor, you would be better off dead? I think if you went into the black community or if you went into any poor community uh, and asked them, would you rather be dead than poor? They would they would choose life so um let's let these babies live and have the opportunity that every american has to um to become uh the person that they desire to become and and to fight for uh you know whatever that means in their lives but we are not seeking to um to hurt the poor we have uh, over 30 pregnancy resource centers in mississippi and we have been preparing for this day So if we have 100 women today that could not have an abortion in Mississippi, we would say go to our pregnancy resource centers, find the love and compassion that is waiting for you, and we will walk you through this process without regret. Will you be looking
0: to limit access to birth control?
1: I think there's a lot of fear mongering in regard to ending birth control. Uh, I think there's, there has to be a huge distinction. Are we opposed to, uh, uh, ending a life after you're already pregnant, that is, that is completely different than protecting yourself from, uh, becoming pregnant. So, uh, there is no desire that I know of from our pro-life advocates here in Mississippi that is trying to end birth control. Uh, we would encourage, uh, responsible protection, uh, to prevent pregnancy. Terry Herring,
0: thank you so much for your time in speaking with us about this very important issue.
1: Thank you, Desiree. I appreciate you calling. For abortion rights
0: advocates, Friday's decision represents a bitter setback, but not a defeat, according to Valencia Robinson. She's executive director of the nonprofit Mississippian Action, which seeks to connect women with reproductive services.
3: We're not. We're fine. It's the people, the citizens in Mississippi that you know we're concerned about because this wasn't expected.
0: Your thoughts for the women in Mississippi?
3: Um, my concern is for the not just women but also pregnant people in Mississippi. Is them trying to figure out how they're going to get the abortion access that they need, and how we are going to assist them uh, in healthy.
0: Since this was pretty much. Um... A foregone conclusion with the leaking of the opinion. What has been going on among abortion rights activists to curb the blunt of this? What are you working on?
3: Well, that's the thing. Um, we've been doing Mississippi in Action. We've been doing the same thing, advocating for the rights of, you know, people's reproductive rights, just trying to get the information to the community so they will know where they can go, where they can access, um, you know, plan B. But we just been the same thing that we've been doing, we're gonna to continue to do because right now we just have to keep moving. We have to keep moving forward.
0: And when you say plan B, what
3: are you referring to? The contraceptives. It's a contraceptive that uh women and pregnant people take within seventy two hours to prevent pregnancy. It's not the abortion pill,
0: and it's what are you advising them to do?
3: We're advising them to talk to their providers to see what they need because we can't we we're not a doc, we're not a clinic, so we can't tell them what to do, but if they ask about it, we just direct them to a website
0: being an abortion rights activist working on this issue over time do you feel
3: like your efforts have been in vain at all no i don't um it's it's a shame that it took this to happen for the rest of the country to understand what's been going on in mississippi for over 20 years with the one long abortion clinic i don't feel like it's in vain but i do feel as if though it has people talking uh people ready to move forward. So no, it's never been in vain. I just wished that we would have been prepared more prepared because when Roe was put in place, our side should have been putting in a place a plan in place to keep Roe. What has happened is we became complacent, we were satisfied. So the other side had already been planning how to overturn Roe. And this is where we are left. We have to not work in our feelings uh, and do what we need to do that's best for the citizens in in Mississippi. Because we are we've been so proactive. We have been reactive instead of proactive. And that's where I feel like we got caught, you know, where we got caught up. Anything
0: that I didn't ask you that's important to mention?
3: It's just, you know, Mississippi in action. Along with our partners, we will continue to do the work that we've been doing. We will continue to help the citizens in Mississippi the best way that we can to get the reproductive services that they need. Valencia Robinson, thank you so much for
0: taking the time to speak with us about this important issue.
3: Okay, you're welcome.
0: Thank you. Coming up, we talk with U.S. Congressman from Mississippi, Stephen Palazzo. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The initial Republican primary in Mississippi's deep red fourth congressional district was split among several candidates June 7th. Incumbent Representative Stephen Palazzo fared best, earning 32 percent of the vote. He's now set to square off with second place finisher Mike Azell in a runoff tomorrow. Palazzo tells Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane his Track record and Washington proves he's the right man for the job.
2: I've been, you know, fighting for South Mississippi and delivering for South Mississippi for over 12 years. Um, you know, when I first uh, got elected, I said, you know, my number one priority is to protect South Mississippi. And being, you know, in a position with my seniority, with my relationships, and on the most important committee—not just to South Mississippi, but to our state—I'm on the Appropriations Committee, and, and I've been able to. Help fund 26 ships at $26 billion for Ingalls, been able to support Camp Shelby. I've been able to support our veterans, our men and women in uniform, law enforcement. And, And I think that's the contrast is like I have the proven conservative voting record.
4: What do you see as being the top issue for 4th District voters right now?
2: Right now, it has to be inflation. Inflation is being driven by um, the cost of energy. Uh, you know, two years ago we were energy independent gas was below two dollars a gallon. So we're not even we're not filling we're not just filling the pinch at the pump, but we're filling it and filling it in everything, from groceries to you know buying clothes or, or baby formula. we're We're filling it across the board because energy touches everything. If, and if the cost of energy goes up, then the prices of everything goes up. From automobiles to any any manufactured good that's provided in America or that we import, uh, energy is the number one sole driver, I think right now of inflation. I and mean, if you add on the fact that the Biden administration has paid so many people not to work when employers have been desperate to get staff to come in and 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 have a good job uh, and, and along with the supply chain. Uh, you know, if you still a little uh, you know, I guess hangover from COVID, But, you know, but the number one driver of our inflation is energy costs right now. And then I'd say the second biggest thing is people are aware that our border is out of control. I mean, the southern border is open. Uh, This administration is complicit in allowing millions and millions of people to come across our border unchecked, undocumented. And they're just releasing them into our nation. And my concern that I've heard from law enforcement, my concern from just everyday Americans and Mississippians is that, you know, this is going to add to crime and criminal activity as well as make us all a border state because the American government does not control large swaths of our border right now. Uh, The cartel does.
4: Let's circle back to the inflation question, because I agree with you. I think that's a really, really important issue for voters right now. What's your plan to get inflation under control and what's your plan to help lower gas prices?
2: yeah we, we have to tackle the energy crisis we have in America. The president promised that he was going to you know do away with fossil fuels. but we have 300 years worth of fossil fuels that we could use. And I understand, look, I agree, let's have an all the above approach. let let's, let's try to bring in renewables. Let's try to bring in other sources of energy. but in our rush to do it, we this administration has driven up the cost of energy. Um, So what we have to do is we have to cut the regulatory red tape that's centered around. We have to stop the rhetoric of beating up the oil and gas industries. We have to begin leasing onshore and offshore, but we also need to support the oil and gas industry so that they, they themselves will continue their private investment into exploration and production, and those things will drive down the cost of energy. A lot of which oil will also, which will also drop inflation in America.
4: A lot of oil rigs left Mississippi, left the Gulf Coast over the past several years up through the pandemic when oil prices were very low. Is that a concern for you? Do we need more rigs here in Mississippi along the Gulf Coast?
2: Yeah, I, I think the rigs will come back. I think, um, you know, people aren't going to build an ultra water deep drill ship if the government's going to shut them, shut them down. Their the companies are not going to make the capital investment necessary to explore, produce, or extract and produce and refine if the federal government ha- considers them the enemy. And, you know, South Mississippi in August, I like, we, we need our air conditioner. Uh, you know, not only do we like low gas prices, but we want to be able to have our lights on. And we've seen the, these states that have kind of gone to more of gotten away from Traditional energy, these rolling block, block, you know, blackouts, is it misery, whether it's in the winter or whether it's in the summer. Uh, and so, again, I mean, we just got to be cautious on how we adopt renewables, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't just sacrifice the fossil fuel industry, uh, the old, the, the traditional oil and gas resources that we have. There's a, there's a, there's a correct way to do it, uh, and this administration is just not doing it.
4: Let's talk about your work in Washington currently. What do you make of the ongoing January 6th hearings?
2: I I think the January 6th um, hearing or the commission that was created and the hearings have turned into just a sham, a political witch hunt uh, to go after President Trump, to discredit his legacy and also to silence those who supported Trump, uh, as I did and also to silence the voice of conservatism. It's just like if, you're, if you don't agree with this, then you're wrong. Uh, you're, you're liable for what happened. I want a commission is about finding out the truth, what happened, and how do we prevent it. And not having any appointed Republicans from the Republican conference on this committee uh, shows you that this is stacked against Trump, Trump supporters, and conservatives in america i want to find the truth i don't want this to ever happen again um but you know i think the uh, the democrats have something to hide and again and again it's just a political theater to you know gin up the public uh for for election purposes
4: okay i want to give you an opportunity to respond to some of the key criticisms that your opponent mr Ezel, has leveled against you He has not so much critiqued your voting record as I suppose your conduct in office, starting with the fact that you are still under an ethics investigation. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. And um, and I I wish it was over because I'm I'm confident and my team's confident that I'll be cleared of any any of these allegations that were created by my political opponents. This is not a government agency that you know found something wrong. These are manufactured allegations by my political opponents from 2020 and continue to be promoted by the six opponents that I had in this last election cycle. Uh, So I'm just, look, I'm an open book. Uh, Everything that we've ever done is in the FEC reports. And I just look forward to being cleared of all allegations.
4: Mr. Ezell has also criticized you for what he says is a lack of town halls, a lack of community engagement within the fourth district your thoughts on that. And if you are reelected, would you change anything about your approach and how you engage with constituents?
2: Yeah, what, what I, I think, um I think my opponent doesn't really understand how Congress works. I don't think he understands the committee process, seniority, or how important relationships are. Um, he also doesn't understand that we, we are spend two to three weeks out of the month in Washington, D.C. And that's what I was hired to do is to go fight for South Mississippi fight the the progressive secular uh, agenda that's coming from Pelosi and Biden. And, and that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of time uh, away from home, takes a lot of time away from my family. Although Uh, you've also,
4: you've also missed more votes than any member of Mississippi's congressional delegation besides representative guest, right?
2: Yeah, look, uh, I haven't missed any votes. I, I proxy. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't like proxying, but it's, I have a choice between missing votes or proxying, so I can attend my daughter's graduation. Uh, I will, I will, I will proxy, so I don't miss my daughter's high school graduation. Uh, you know, there's COVID protocols. If you get COVID, you can't, you can't come to the Capitol and vote. So I, I, I use it because I think voters in South Mississippi would rather me be on record voting than missing votes and questioning why I missed those votes. And so there's a huge contrast there, and that was, goes back to me and my opponent. I have a proven conservative record. I have proven that I will fight for veterans. I will fight to build the border wall. I will fight for you know faith, family, and freedoms that are somewhat under attack
4: uh, in this nation today. June is LGBT Pride Month in America. It feels appropriate to ask, um, particularly now that there's increased speculation that the Obergefell decision may fall. Would you support federally protection for the right of gay people to get married?
2: I I, I protect. I think, first of all, marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, But, you know, I think what they should be focused on is civil unions. And but again, at the end of the day, it's between them and their God. And you know, I know people have told me, "Hey, Stephen, you're on the wrong side of history on this. You need to get with it." I said, "Well, I'd rather be on the wrong side of history than the wrong side of God." So I, I support marriage. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a holy tradition, and it's between a man and a woman, and that's irrefutable. Uh, but I don't believe anybody should be discriminated against. Um, but also, I believe people, you know, should should live their lives uh, to the best of their ability and be good citizens, and you know. What what people do in the the privacy of their homes, as long as it's not illegal, is up to them.
0: Stephen Palazzo represents Mississippi's 4th District in Congress. He'll look to defend his seat against primary challenger Mike Azell in a runoff election tomorrow. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.